What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ho, ho, ho. And a very festive welcome to this special Christmas edition of Novel Experience. For this episode, and for only the second time thus far in the history of Novel Experience, I have not one, but two guests. The brilliant Karen Swan and Jenny Bayliss, who, among other things, both write a Christmas novel a year. We talk about the intense work schedule that requires and their personal processes, but we also chat a bit about each of their novels, which are out this season, Karen's being Christmas by Candlelight and Jenny's A December to Remember, both of which I enjoyed so much when I read them back in the late summer that I might just read them again now that Christmas is round the corner. And there is, of course, the usual motivating writing advice that you've hopefully come to expect from listening to Novel Experience. So grab a mug of something mulled and settle in to listen to our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And a very Merry Christmas to you too, my lovely listeners. I'm so grateful for every single one of you. Hello, Karen and Jenny, and welcome to Novel Experience. Thank you so much for being my guests for this very special Christmas episode of Novel Experience. Hi, Kate. (laughs) Hello, both. I'm sure uh, there was probably going to be a bit of talking over each other in this this conversation, but that's sort of like, I don't mind that on Novel Experience. So let's forgive ourselves that at the very beginning. And I firstly want to tell you both how much I thoroughly enjoyed your books well this year's Christmas book from both of you because you both produce a book a year at Christmas is that right yes I mean I mean I hats off to you both and Karen you also write a summer novel a year is that right? Yes, because I'm officially a lunatic and I have certificates to prove it. I mean, it's idiocy in the extreme, but I do. I don't know why. There are plenty of times in the year when I ask myself why I'm doing that. Um, but I'm just a bit greedy because I like I like the whole sort of theatre, you know, of, of the publishing schedule. And there's a bit of an adrenaline rush with it. And uh so yes. once, once a year isn't quite enough and I'm like I can do this again <laughs> yeah I mean 
that I mean uh, yeah I've got so much to ask you about this sort of how you both must schedule your time because one book a year is uh, crazy two is just wow like you say (laughs) I I believe in these certificates but I want to talk to you about the books that are coming this year Christmas by Candlelight and December a December to remember um but and because both of you are the most extraordinarily prolific authors, I've got so much to ask you about the like nuts and bolts of your writing practice. And also, I'm just so interested in this thing that is Christmas literature, <laughs> um, which is a sort of genre into itself, but also isn't because it bleeds into so many other genres bleed into them um yeah so I'm really interested to talk to you about that but that's a lot to get through so I'm going to start at the beginning as I always do and I'll start with you Karen and ask you have you always written I've always written but I never really thought of myself as a writer um So when I was at school, um, I always did well in English and I was always, all my school reports said, you know, I had a a very distinctive writing style and I didn't pay too much attention to it. So you really enjoyed English at school, um, but you didn't, you didn't go on to study that at that time or? I did. I did an English degree at at uni um, because I loved reading Um, Mm -hmm. and Yes, I mean, that was just my great, great passion. But actually, I I started my career in fashion, in the fashion world. And I wouldn't even say particularly fashion journalism in terms of writing. I was more on the styling side of things, wanting to create beautiful images, just loving the product. Um, And I, I sort of accidentally, through a process of elimination, found myself moving more and more back towards the world, the world of words. Um, because mm. I, I, I was working at Tatler magazine as a fashion assistant and we had to do a reshoot of a fashion story that we had shot in Paris at great expense. And when the images came in, the editor wasn't happy at all and she demanded a reshoot. So we did it again in London, different model, different photographer, same clothes. Mm-hmm. The images came in and I was like, well, these look exactly the same to me as the other ones. <laughs> and I just yeah. thought... I don't have the eye to care that much about this. Mm-hmm. So, but I still loved my fashion. So I moved into fashion features where then I was interviewing designers, you know, just sort of, and that's when I began to get into the craft work of words of journalism, deadlines, word counts. So mm. that's where I, and I, I worked under Lisa Armstrong, who was the fashion features director at the time. And she then went on, of course, to the Times and the Tech and she is an icon in that world and and an amazing writer and she was the one who said to me with my writing you need to relax your style and just let a bit more air in because I wrote in a very very rigid way where everything was so stylized and so perfect if you needed to add in another sentence in the middle you wouldn't be able to it was just too tightly written Mm. so Lisa taught me a lot about relax. I'd had quite a formal education. You weren't allowed to say you, you had to say one. I was pretty uptight in my language. So she really taught me to relax. I then moved on from Tatler and Vogue over to uh, weekly magazines where it was all about volume and pace and just turnover of ideas. 
and um, I moved away from fashion into general features. And really what I came to realize was that I loved writing. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, I was moving more towards editing and I was genuinely the world's worst editor because I would commission a story, it would come in and I would go, no, 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 no. I wouldn't have written it like that. I'd have done it like this. And I'd decimate, decimate. Their, I mean, I was appalling. And I would basically rewrite their articles. They must have loathed me. And <laughs> I would rewrite these articles and go, yes, that's much better. And, um, oh, God. I mean, I look back now and I just want to cringe. Um, <laughs> but I, I sort of slowly through that process of elimination realized that actually what I really did love doing was writing. I yeah. still at that point was only thinking in terms of journalism. It mm -hmm. just so happened that I had my first baby. I ended up writing a nonfiction book on the back of my pregnancy program that I had followed during that pregnancy. Um, mm -hmm. It just so happened that this doctor I was seeing was also looking after Gwyneth Paltrow and Kate Moss. So she had quite a celebrity clientele, which of course made it a really commercial product. Yeah. So we got an agent for this book. It was published and it was that agent who said to me, sit down and write something, write a fiction chapter. And I said, don't mm. be crazy. I've got no idea how to do that. Mm. But I did. I sat down and I had a go and oh my God, my brain made sense for the first time in my life. And I suddenly realized that I had in fact been telling stories in my head. I was about 30 at that age, at that point. Yeah. And I'd literally been telling stories in my head for 30 years. I thought everybody did that. Mm. I thought that's just how everyone was. I thought we mm. all did it. And it was only when I sat down and wrote this scene and went, oh, wow, that was easy. That like totally made sense of my brain. Mm. And I suddenly realized that no, Karen, this is not what people do. That no, no, this is actually called being a writer. And I'd, I'd fallen upon it. I, it was the flukiest thing. And there are still days now when I think, oh my God, what if I had not gone to the library that day and sat down and just had a go? Yeah. Because there certainly wasn't any sort of impetus from me to do it. I wasn't sitting there going, I really want to write a novel. I, I wasn't thinking in that way. And it was just a, all a huge fluke. So, and yeah. so that first, that, that first um, bit of writing, did that turn into a novel? And it and did. It, it did. Wow. Yeah, it that was your first, first ever book, Players. Amazing. Um, and, but I, and so, I didn't even have a plot idea. It was purely a random scene of two mothers sitting in a garden in London with their toddlers running through sprinklers, which of course was my life at that point. Yes. So it wasn't like I was sitting there with this great idea I had to get down. I just sort of closed my eyes, saw this scene and committed it to paper. And I showed it to this agent uh, for whom I'd done the book. And she said, this is fantastic, carry on. And I thought, but what do you mean? I, I don't know what to do with this because I didn't have an idea of any story attached to it. So that is really the hard way to write a book. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I would never recommend writing a book that way round, but I did. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm gonna ask you in a bit about how you got to writing specifically Christmas books. But first, I'm gonna go across to you, Jenny, and ask you the same question. Have you always written? I have always written. Um, 
I always had stories in my head, so I was always writing them, but I didn't feel like a writer. I felt like a closet writer. It was my dirty secret um, <laughs> because, you know, I um, I sort of was had my children when I was quite young and mm-hmm. um, and I was writing, writing, writing all the time, but I was sort of doing it in my kind of spare time when the kids were napping and stuff like that because I and I would say to people oh it's a hobby because I felt you know a little bit embarrassed almost that I had all these stories in my head that I wanted to write down and nobody else seemed to be doing that and I, so it was like my little secret and then um and I just kept trying and trying and and I was um in the meantime you know doing all other jobs because I I, I wasn't thinking oh I'm gonna be a writer you know I was trying to send things off to publishers but I was always, um, I was like the queen of of the near miss. So, and I didn't understand at that time either because I was like in my early twenties. So I would send off a manuscript and I'd get um, advice back um, saying, oh, you know, we, we really liked it, but it runs a little long or something like that. And I would just mm-hmm. go, oh, well, it's a bust then. I had no idea that that was a jumping off point. I had no idea that at that point you go, that's fine. I'll take that away and I'll edit it and I'll come back to you. And I mm-hmm. sort of just shelved all these things like over the years. And, you know, and I was doing sort of, I was a, I was a, a professional baker. And when I was in my twenties, I worked in cruises and, you know, mm-hmm. I did all these sort of had all these other careers and, but I was still, you know, keeping my little writing going. Um, and then, and it just sort of became really clear that it, it wasn't, going away this was it wasn't like a little thing I was going to grow out of um and so when I was um 39 I I, I thought right this is I, I'm, I need to do something about this so I went um to university because I hadn't been to uni when I was younger mm-hmm. busy having babies and um <laughs> so I went to uni when I was at th- I was 39 and I was still working um at the bakery then well at the cafe I was in the kitchen working at there um making cakes and um so I did it um part-time over six years I had an amazing boss actually she was a female boss both my bosses when I was doing my degree were, were female mm-hmm. um, and I think that made a huge difference because she was like I said I want to do a degree but I need to keep my job because I need to be earning money um mm-hmm. you know and you've got family and everything else and and she was like do you know what if you can put if you can do the hours if you can still produce the cakes we'll change your days because you know what it's like every term that your days change your lectures change and I'd be like Mm. oh my god she was brilliant and so I just was you know chopping and changing my days all the time and and doing that whole thing where you know you're like you're you're working and you're doing your essays and you're going to uni and then you're in the shower in the morning going it's fine I'll sleep when I'm dead (laughs) And, um, and then um and then sort of I think it was the last year of my six year degree um and I, I, a disc came out of my neck um, while I was, um, I was working still. And um, so I couldn't, I couldn't bake anymore. I had to have surgery. I've got like a cage in my neck. Um, and, I, and they basically said, your, your baking days are over. Um, so then I was like, oh my God, now I'm an unemployed baker. Um, oh. so, so I wrote, I started writing another novel using all the editing skills that I'd learned at uni, because Mm -hmm. when I got to uni, that was when I thought, oh, I get it. This, this is editing. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and then I, so then I, I wrote another book. I wrote the 12 dates of Christmas 
and I sent it off not really expecting anything because by this time I'd had 20 years of rejections. So I was like well used to rejections. Um, and um, when Haley, my agent, who is my agent now, came back to me and said, oh, I think this has got legs. I was like, I, I couldn't believe it after, you know, just couldn't believe it. So so that's that was kind of how that, you know, how that journey began. So it was a really long, drawn out journey of me hiding in cupboards writing and then, you know, finally sort of not being able to work and writing the novel that then got published. <laughs> I do think that 39 is a really interesting sort of turning point for so many people, you know, for so many writers, because it's sort of like, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because with 40 sort of like approaching, it yeah. feels like, I don't know whether it's because people think, you know, the time is now or never, or, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the same at 39. That was when I, sort of started writing in earnest and I suppose it was actually because I stopped giving so much of a shit about what people <laughs> thought yeah I think there probably is an element of that because that's not until you're getting on for your 40s is it that you suddenly yeah. realize like you can be unapologetically yourself yeah I, I think it was like I always worried that people would judge me or all of these things. And now I just don't really care if they judge yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also, I think you, you know, need like to live a little. little. Sorry, Karen. I think you need to live a little as well to be able to write. I don't understand how you get these writers at like age twenty because I'm like, what do you know at that age? You know, yeah. You sort of have to have a little bit of life experience in order to be able to draw on it. Yeah, I think that too. But then I think about you know Jane Austen I <laughs> know <laughs> don't bring her into it I'm no, sorry I know it just complicates matters <laughs> um so I mean so Jenny you started writing a Christmas novel really um that and all of your novels have been set at Christmas thus far so did you know what you were getting yourself into did you realize that this sort of genre existed no no I didn't have a clue I I you know I I in my head I would either be writing Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli I guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do I have to say yes you do in the car before my kids PTA meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky I never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For children um, and, and young adults, and I would definitely be writing um, sci-fi and horror. That was, okay. in, my, in my mind, that was what was going to happen. And The 12 Dates of Christmas was, I'd never written anything like it. I'd never mm. written anything romantic. I'd never written anything Christmassy. I mean, I adore Christmas. It was literally a case of write what you love, which was Christmas. Um, so yeah, it that that just came out of nowhere. And then, and then I realized that there was this whole, yeah, this whole Christmas book 
thing that I hadn't <laughs> really realized, you know, was a, yeah. I had read, um, like my mum and me always picked a Christmas book to read each year, you know, like, and then we would swap it like a little book, Christmas book club. Um, but I, I hadn't ever thought that I would write one for myself. Mm. And, and, and so then Karen, what was your, what was the thing that started you that wrote you when you wrote your first Christmas novel? I mean, you were already like in the game, so to speak. So was it just that the idea you had was Christmassy or did you think that's a corner of the market that I would like to find my way into? No, not at all. It was, um, it was my third book and it didn't have a title. I was just writing it. I'd sort of pitched the idea and they, my editors, my publishers had gone mad for the idea. And in my head, it, the work, it was just like London, New York, Paris. It was just, this is a book of a young woman whose marriage has ended. She's staying with each of her best friends in these different cities. And they each sort of give her a makeover in each city, in, effectively in their own likeness. Yes. Each city has its own vibe. It was sort of my fashion-y novel because I knew those cities really well. And I was like, okay, I, I know the feeling in each city. And at that time, this was like back in 2009, 2010, 11, something like that. The fashion world was not what it is now. It was not influencers. You just had a very close community of uh, top level magazines with you know, selected editors allowed into the shows. Now, of course, you've got all these influencers live streaming as it happens. You know, it's an incredibly democratic process, but it wasn't back then. So uh, it was, I was able to give an insight into that world, having been in it. And as far as I was concerned, the book was nothing to do with Christmas at all. It, it set over the course of a year. It starts at New Year and it ends at Christmas, but it's not a Christmassy book. But my editor emailed me one day and she went, we've come up with this title. Uh, Christmas at Tiffany's <laughs> and I went okay that's rather lovely and my publishing date my slot before then had been in in January and they said right we're going to bring you out in November and I said okay marvelous you know I, I was pretty new to the industry it was only my third book yeah and I was like okay I'm just gonna whatever you say that's fine and because I obviously New York and I did have uh, a big scene in the in the Tiffany's in in a, on Fifth Avenue in New York. So it all worked and it was all great, but it was never to me a Christmas book. Um, and I sort of feel that with most of mine, that although they come out at Christmas and I will set them at Christmas loosely, mm -hmm. they're not about Christmas. You mm -hmm. know? It's, I, I would find that too limiting over the long term. I've just, you know, I've been going a long time now it, it sort of feels like and <laughs> you sort of have to retain a certain amount of creative independence because if you become very anchored to the idea of a genre or a marketing niche very soon you're I mean within you can maybe do that for three or four even five books but soon you're really gonna it's gonna start to feel quite formulaic so yeah. I, and I and I do get a little bit of stick for it obviously in you know comments because obviously it is marketed as being a Christmas product people love that and they do sort of my readers who do follow me regularly do know what I do but those who are new to me think they're picking up a you know really cozy Christmas read and actually I don't tend to do that and they get a little bit annoyed they're like oh but half of this is in you know June <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get 
get the same. I, I yeah. have the same. People saying it's not Christmassy enough. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you can't sustain a career just writing about, you know, putting up the Christmas tree and buying Christmas presents. It's just, you can do that for a couple of books, but not, not more than that. And also, if you're going to write about, as you both do, about, like, people, characters that have, you know, that feel real, they live outside of... Christmas and what they are you know the things that they're processing dealing with all of those things exist outside of Christmas and I have to say that reading both of the books yes they are both based at Christmas but you know I'll let you into a secret listeners uh this is not recorded at Christmas and I was quite happy reading these books that were set at Christmas um you know that are majority for the majority set at Christmas out away from Christmas that it didn't it didn't feel like I was having you know Christmas what's it what do they do in Australia Christmas in June or whatever it wasn't like that oh yeah (laughs) exactly um because they're just both really good reads I mean and I suppose that's the funny thing about so much of publishing but so many genres we're looking for a way to market them I suppose and there's no difference actually with a Christmas book as there is I mean I don't know why this surprises me really I suppose because I'm thinking of the sort of Netflix Christmas specials, which yeah. I have to say I really enjoy. Yeah, I do. But there is a difference between a sort of quite flimsy love story on Netflix for an hour to having this sort of like depth of characters and situation that is required to hold the interest of a reader throughout the course of a novel. Exactly. I mean, you know, if, it, if it's going to be believable to people, you know, of course, people can and do, you know, meet and fall in love in a very short period of time, occasionally. But, yeah. you know, I mean, I remember writing one book, uh, Christmas Under the Stars, a few years ago, which opens uh, with a, cu- a couple in love, and then there's a death in, like, the first chapter. And, of course, uh, that... I have to show her process of grieving before, of course, we can allow her to go into another great love affair. You simply cannot do that in the space of the month of December. You you have to, in order to to believe in that journey, you have to give it time. And that means carrying it over a period of time, you know, that goes outside of the festive season. Um, Yeah. You know, these are ultimately just human interest stories but the way they're marketed is as though, you know, it's uh, it's all just happening in, in one period of the year. Yeah, people do fall in love at other times. <laughs> <laughs> so you say that, Jenny, that you are like a like a big Christmas person. Yes. Has writing about Christmas put you off it at all? <laughs> no. Do you know, I, I worried that it might. Um but it actually hasn't. The only thing it's done is made me more um, have to get organised a bit quicker. Um, because, oh, yeah. Because of my timings, that's all because of my, you know, because of deadlines and, and and you know, things like that. So that makes me ha- have to be a bit more on it. Um, but I still try and take off, you know, like a, a week over the period so that because when my grown up kids come home and stuff like that. But no, I still I still love it. And But I think that's a lot to do with me being... I'm an autumn winter girl. I'm not 
summer can do one as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you know, I thought I feel like I tolerate summer, um, but I I adore like autumn and winter. So I think that's probably why I love Christmas. I I love the the weather and the hunkering down and everything about it. Yeah. And I, so that hasn't so writing about it hasn't hasn't deadened that. Although it can be hard in the middle of July trying to write, you know, something Christmasy. Sure. <laughs> um and and Karen how about you has writing about Christmas sort of deadened the joy of it for you that you spend that time with it or is it because your books aren't entirely Christmassy you still get to enjoy Christmas I have to be honest it has slightly sort of <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I hate to admit it I really do because it, it upsets me a little bit but yes it's um when you're spending putting your head in that space for so much of the year. And then also as a mother, having so much logistically to do for that time of year. Sure. By the time Christmas day actually rolls around, I'm so over it. <laughs> <laughs> the second yeah. the turkey is out on the table, I am off duty. I am done. The presents are done. The parties are done. The food is done. I'm like, no one talked to me till New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, um, just then, Jenny, you said, you know, that you in summer can do one but like, <laughs> you know, but when when are you generally writing these books? If it's if if you're produ producing a Christmas book for once a year, I mean, Jenny, when do you write? I mean, what is your sort of deadline? Um, so my deadline for this year is November the 1st. So I'm writing a Christmas book all through the summer for next year. For next year yeah right. so and this year's been quite if this year has felt easier because up until now I've also had a children's book as well to write uh -huh. at the same time so this feels like um and I actually don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because I did think yay this year is going to be so great because I'm just going to have one book to write um and actually I have I've, my writer's block has been the worst it's ever been and I think it's because I have less deadlines yes so, I don't know what that's about me. And, and how about you, Karen? What is your What does your year look like with regard to... I mean, are you writing a summer book in the winter and a winter book in the summer? <laughs> it, I, I wish I was, because that would mean I had more time. Uh -huh. So at the moment, I'm writing the summer book for next summer, and I've got to hand that in... Um, so we're obviously talking the middle of August. I've got mm -hmm. to hand that in in about a month. Um, and then I hand in next Christmas's book in January um wow yeah it's tight because obviously within that there's also a lot of editing so I will be editing the summer book until about the beginning of November um wow. and also I'll be promoting the current Christmas book in that time as well of course um so that's three books sort of mentally I'm juggling in my head then I'll um write through the winter over Christmas through in my head I'm like through to February half term um and then mm -hmm. I like to be done by Feb half term so that I can spend that time with my kids um yeah and then uh, and that sort of gives me something to aim for um and then yes I'll then be editing through to then till early May on the Christmas book and then I start the summer one again so it's it's horribly tight, which is why I'm a certifiable lunatic. Um, but that's not yeah. very long to write a whole book. No, I know. it's really, it's really 
hard at the moment and um particularly at the moment because the the summer books that i'm doing aren't standalones that they're part of a, a historical series and there's yes. four of them and i'm doing the third one at the moment and on the one hand there are advantages because i already know the plot i know the top plot so to speak the yes. meta plot and i know the characters i know the location for certainly most of it um but then it's also really difficult because um and, and of course i've done my research um but it's also really difficult because I've, I then don't have the autonomy of my own standalone story. I have to remember and what I put in the other two books, as well as having to set down clues and threads for the final book. Yeah. And so it makes it really slow going. Um, and I just can't move at the same pace that I normally can for a standalone where you just get your own momentum going and off you go. So um, let me ask let me ask both of you then a bit about the like nuts and bolts of your practice. So um Karen, so this, you know, this heavy schedule that you've got then, does that mean that you that you plot in advance of setting down the words or is the plotting part of the way that you write? I don't overly plot. I do uh, so for, particularly for the summer books, I've had to do like a degree of research because it's set in 1930. Yeah. But it was also a Gaelic community that was um, isolated from the outside world. So effectively they were living as like 1880. So yes. it, it wasn't something I could just come in lightly. I had to really research their life, their just how they survived, uh, their customs, etc. With the Christmas books, I don't need that same level of research. So I can move more quickly with those. So whatever the topic will be, I will probably spend three to five weeks researching before I start to sit down and write. So for example, I'll be finishing the editing for the summer book in October, November. I'll be promoting the current Christmas book but at that point, I will, I will hopefully have my story idea and I'll be researching it so that certainly I'll be starting to write by the beginning of December. Wow. OK. And, 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 and how about you, um, Jenny? Are you, are you a plotter or are you a pantser? I'm not much of a plotter. I do try. Um, I, what normally happens is I have an idea about how it starts. I have an idea and I know I, so I know how it starts. I know how it ends and I know a couple of things that are going to happen throughout and then and then I work my way to how I'm going to get to those points. So I suppose that is that's plotting in a sense, but it's more it's more in my head that I know where I've got to get to. Mm -hmm. So I I um and I think and sometimes if I am so for example this book that I'm writing now, I it I've sort of I have been struggling a little bit um I know where I need to get to it's just a case of getting there and I have um gone back and read um I was reading through I think it's called The Writer's Journey by Christopher Vogler I think that's yes it. yeah um because I felt like I needed to just make sure that I was hitting those those points you know those the, the, the sort of the ups and downs and the you know the going on that journey and I I and sometimes sometimes when things get a bit too squiggly in my head I have to sit sit back and think right where where is this person going what you know and and then 
then I can sort of put it into perspective again and then and then start writing again that I made that sound really muddly that sounds like I'm really chaotic no I mean I, I'm 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 surprised actually for both of you because of your schedule I mean that this is my preference for writing as well but having read both of your books that are tightly it feels very tightly plotted like it does feel like uh, and, and and they've got depth to them as well it is uh, uh, quite frankly astonishing that this is a, a quite organic process for both of you um yeah I, I I mean I'm even more in awe than I was previously <laughs> frankly yeah and and so the the sort of the daily with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sort of grind of it, if you will. Sorry. Not, I mean, it's not. I, I mean, I feel like it's grind uh, today because um, I'm drafting. Um, but um, yeah. So, 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 Jenny, do you write every day or do you have a time that you sit at your desk what is your process as far as like getting the words onto the page I do I try and write every day I do um and so you know so I have some days so my because I'm always being quite dramatic and saying that's it I've lost it I can't write and then my husband goes yeah you said that last week and then you were fine so um I have to sort of I have to think to myself, right, okay, it's not always going to be, you know, I'm not always going to be Jessica Fletchering my way through the day. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Um, But I try and aim for 1500 words a day. Mm -hmm. You know, and if I if I make that sometimes it's an absolute like, you know, it feels like a heroic effort to hit that. And so, you know, and then other days it'll be more than that but if I can hit that I think okay that's fine and I I try to do it every day but if it's really not happening I will just have to say right do you know what I'm gonna take myself off for a walk I'm gonna do something else because there is that whole thing of you know sort of like flogging a dead horse Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and do you keep like office hours do you you start at a certain time or is it just fit in around your day no, I do try and do set time. So I try and be finished by sort of half past six so I can cook dinner because that's like my wind down. Um, and I, I get up in the mornings, go for a walk, buy my coffee while I'm out because that forces me to, I, I kind of live near the beach so I can walk to the end of the beach, buy a coffee and then walk all the way back again. So it's like an hour. <laughs> and then I can, and then I feel like, okay, now I'm going to, because that feels like my commute then, if you know what I mean. Yeah, your um, exercise, your commute, your caffeination. Yeah, that's it. And then <laughs> I can sit down and, yeah. you know, and, and work or not work or, or you know, or, or look at pretty dresses on the internet or dust <laughs> something that doesn't need dusting, depending okay. on the day. <laughs> and how about you, Karen? What's your sort of, what does your day look like? And is it time limited or is it word limited or yeah tell us how you work it's it's sort of both um it's got easier now my children are older because I don't have to do a school run um and I I used to be you know first of all I'd have to do the I would have nine till 12 and then I'd pick up from nursery then it was nine till three 
then it was nine till five, you know, and it, it, it my days got longer. Um, now my children are late teenagers and, you know, uh, doing A-levels and off at uni. So it's much easier. So in a way, my days are unlimited. What I tend to do, certainly with the winter book, is I will aim for 15,000 words a week because it's such a very tight, uh, yeah, a, such a tight schedule. <laughs> I'll go for 3,000 words a day for five days. Wow. And if I, uh, what I sort of buy into that is if I then, I'm, if I miss my word count um, on a particular day, then I know I've then got to work the weekend. So I'm very incentivized not to work the weekend because I want to keep some sort of balance when I'm in that very intense writing stage. Yeah. So I make my life quite small when I'm in that really intense six, seven week period. I don't do much. We don't entertain much um and and I just sort of really hibernate and I go for it um and largely what I find that that does for me is it keeps me calm because it can be very daunting to have to go right I've got to write an entire book in the next two months yes. and if I don't I'm letting down so many people and yeah. and and that especially when you're doing it year in year out and it's sort of harder and harder to find ideas to not repeat yourself, it's uh, it, it's very daunting. And there are times when I feel like, oh my God, I can't do this. And I find that what I do is I write in my diary on a Sunday, I'll put right 15, and then the following Sunday, 30, and then the following Sunday, 45. And it basically means that I will mark my diary out until I get to 100,000 words. And you know, my agent laughs at me because she might ring me halfway through and say, you know, how's it going? And I'm like, it's totally fine. I'm going to be finished on this date. And she laughs that I'm so precise. But it's it's a way for me to stay very calm when I have a lot of demands on me. So I just want to then talk to you both a bit about the editing process then, because you're both writing at such a rate. So is it a case of do you look back because there are so many sort of threads that work through both of your novels have the threads that sort of join and, and make this fuller picture for the whole book is that something that you just hold in your mind or do you have to go back and correct your course as you're writing or is that something that happens in the editing um for me that happens um i i kind of i try and keep track and I try and keep going back and just checking. Yeah. Um, but invariably, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be better because I was the worst at timelines. So I've started writing, um, writing out an actual timeline. You know, the, the um, wrapping paper that um, parcels come in from Amazon is really long brown paper. Yes. And I, and I lay that out and I write my timeline on it with all the things that are happening so that I can keep track because on my first book because obviously I'm still really new to the game so on my yes. first book my timeline I'd managed to fit in a whole extra 24 hours in, right. into, the, into the story which was obviously no good because then I had to try and I had to jiggle everything to try and fit in the extra 24 hours that I'd written because they mm -hmm. needed to be in there so they were perfect yeah. so so I'm I, I'm yeah I'm trying to be better on that score <laughs> so that the editing is less hefty so that it's less of yeah yeah, yeah. And how about you, Karen? I'm exactly the same. I've, yeah. Timelines were always my bete noire. 
and I relied so much on my copy editor to sort things out for me. Um, I've definitely got better over the years. And I, what I tend to find is that I'll get to about a halfway point and I have to go back and effectively do an edit. At yeah. that because I invariably, I will have made a decision about a character or, or a plot point by then that is very different to what I'd put at the beginning. And if I haven't got it clear in my head for when I'm coming into the back end of the book, I find that I can't write clearly. So I yeah. need to have, you know, I, I do tend to do an edit sort of halfway through so that my thoughts are clear because obviously there's so much tying up of threads that you have to do. Yeah. Um, that you want to, you, you know, you want to be able to come in at a gallop. Yeah. And that shed, is that, does that disrupt your schedule when you edit? that or is that something there, you account for yes there are definitely panicky days where I'm like oh my god I've actually only got a net gain of 600 words today yeah, yeah. because I went back and I edited that chapter and I'll sort of meet my husband in the kitchen for a glass of wine and i am got a trembling hand and he's like no no it's all good don't panic you know because you have to do this that actually is part of the writing process the editing is so huge yes. and almost no writer really can can write and not need to edit um, so you've got to sort of accept that and on those days when you don't make your word count you have to reassure yourself that actually no you still put in a full shift you have still moved the book forward and even if you haven't moved the book forward you've cleared your head your head is ready to move the book forward yeah I have to say that um this is this is quite reassuring because <laughs> yeah. I'm at a point where, yeah, I have a deadline um, looming and uh, there has been a bit of going, I had to go back to go forward and um, it scared me quite a lot because my, my daily word count has uh, crept up, requirement has crept up rather a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I do that same conversation I had with my mum recently with a glass of wine in hand saying, the thing is, I know that I actually have, you know, not really written any words today. In fact, I've lost more than I've written, but I actually had written more than I'd lost, you know, but that's just the way that editing works. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it means that I'll be able to go forward. And it's true because this week has been much, you know, f speeding ahead. So, yeah, it's one step. Oh, that's so good. Two steps back. It's a it's a scary thing, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> it is. It's not linear. You know, no, it's think not. You just... And very often I will write a book and I'll think I'm coming into the mid section of it. And I realize that in fact, no, I started writing the book in the mid section. This is now the ending and I've got to go back and write a whole new beginning. Whoa, and the yeah. amount of times I've done that. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny thing. I mean, it, but it's just great. I mean, this is what I love doing the podcast because it's, uh, really interesting to talk to authors and see that 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 same thing that I do <laughs> that feels so lonely to go through on your own is actually happening you know to so many authors of course there are those that do um that do plot but then they go through it with the plotting I think in a similar I way. don't know how they do it you know I I was at a lunch once with um a, th uh, a thriller writer and, and she had so massively pl pre-plotted in advance 
that when it came to her edits, she said they took 36 minutes. Now, bearing in mind, <laughs> mine can take six weeks. Yeah. And basically, effectively, a rewrite. Yeah. I just wanted to hit her with a bread roll. I mean, I was, I was enraged. <laughs> um, so, I, I want to talk a little bit about these books. So, I'd love to talk to you a bit about the novels that are coming out this year. Obviously, not the novels that you are both writing at the moment. So, it might be a little bit confusing. But the books that I've read, I'm really enjoyed um and so Jenny I, I'd like you to just quickly tell us if you don't mind the sort of summary or pitch for this year's Christmas novel from you A December to Remember. Okay so A December to Remember is it's around three sisters um, Maggie, Simone and Star um, they have they each have a different mum so they have the same dad um, and he, they, they used in their childhoods. They spent every summer together um, uh, in the flat that he had above his curiosity shop. And he also owned land, so he had like woods behind. And so they spent like you know a month of blissful summer every single year through their childhood together. And then the rest of the year they were never together. And then when they grew up, they because they were so different and their families were so different, they just became estranged really through various different things and. Um, when Augustus, their father, passes away, he um, has put all these caveats in his will that basically, yes, they can, you know, they can come into their inheritance, but they have to jump through some hoops first. Um, mm -hmm. And he, and one of the hoops is that they have to reinstate um, the winter solstice celebration in the in their village that which is Rowan Thorpe where they where they grew up together so they've all they have to sort of come back together and they they're not overly keen on each other and they have to kind of find their way to to work together and work out their various issues um to, to put on this this festival yes and I have a penchant for um stories about sisters I mean indeed like my most recent novel this family is about three sisters um, yeah. and obviously uh, my background as an actor uh, I, I'm quite into three sisters uh, just in general <laughs> um, having been in three sisters several times um, Chekhov's so I really really enjoyed the book but I think it's oh, interesting the the love story there are there are several love stories in the book but the central love story is between these three sisters and so I just want to ask you if like me you also have sisters or that you're trying to sort of work through some of those things about sorority or whether it was just the characters that came to you that you wanted to play with um, it was it was just the characters I I'm, I'm one of three I'm the eldest of three you are. <laughs> so I would be Maggie um, yeah. And I have got um, a younger sister and um, a younger brother, and I am, and we're really close. We're we're sort of peas in a pod. Um, so that so f it was strange, sort of writing about um, the, their estrangements because you know I'm touching wood as I say this, but yeah. because I don't have that with my siblings. Yes. Um, but my brother is called. Simon and we've always called him Simone so he, oh, I see. So he did become Simone um, in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Very good um, and I also love I mean there is this brilliant cast of characters uh, which is like so it's this this community of Rowan Thorpe um, but 
I really enjoyed something that, well, first of all, these sisters are sort of, well, they're in their 30s, approaching 40s, you know, they're, they're in their sort of early midlife. Yes. Um, but so that's great because not not huge amounts of uh, fiction is told from that perspective. Um, but also the older women in the village have, well, they're sexual because there's the brilliant scene where they're all the women of the WI are sort of like discussing after the funeral. <laughs> they're sort of, they'd all basically enjoyed themselves with um, the girl's father, hadn't they? <laughs> And and also they're, they're sort of this sort of spy organisation in the village. Now I know that you live by the sea um, in like relatively small community, isn't that right? Yes. So is this from experience? <laughs> um, no, it isn't. I mean, the sense of ha- having worked on on a, on the the high street of the town where I live for many years that there is so there is a sense of community within the high street, and I think that's been quite nice to draw on but yeah um in terms of in terms of these women's sort of sexuality I think a lot of it is to do with as I'm getting older so I'm 49 now and I feel like we're still in society not really acknowledging that women over 35 are allowed to you know sort of have sex or be vital do you know what I mean and yes um and I think things are slowly changing but I think so I, I feel like as I'm getting older, I want to sort of fly the flag and say, well, actually, you know, it doesn't it doesn't change. You don't become sort of musty and fusty when you sort of hit your 40s. This is, yeah. you know, and so I think I and I and I do have I have a lot of strong women around me. And some of the most influential people in my life have been older um women who have been you know so feisty and so I think I do I'm able to sort of draw on those experiences I've been very lucky in that way yeah and and then well as with both of your books I'm going to talk to you a bit about it in a moment Karen but like there is in yours too Jenny some more sort of like serious sort of elements or seams that sort of run through the book so so like not to say that it isn't cozy there is definitely like coziness to it but are you sort of aware of the sort of themes that you wanted to deal with I mean in in the case of your book really it's using well not using but these three sisters having sort of different approaches or experiences with regard to motherhood is one of the main um thrusts yeah so did you know that was something that you wanted to explore or is it like your plot that it sort of reveals itself as you write no I think I did know with these women where they were where they were coming from then you know I knew what how their characters were sort of formed and I think that um even though it's you know I, I write festive books but everyone who every person who lives through December is living another life much like Karen was saying earlier is living yes. another life throughout the year so I can't I sort of I think it's okay to to bring in those real people and make them that you know have have that that month of the year if you saw what I mean I, I'm not yeah. making much sense but it's you know it just feels like for them to be real people they have to feel like real people they have to have real issues that we can identify with and most of and most of those issues 
you know we can identify with to some degree we either know somebody or we are that person or you know so I think that sort of identifying with other women is is what I try and get in there as well yeah absolutely and yeah it is um it is quite a feminist book really in many respects uh, respects isn't it well I, I yeah I really enjoyed it and and, and so you. moving on to you Karen would you be able to give us that um short pitch or or, or summary of uh Christmas by candlelight my best I was terrible at Oh, I know it's so horrible of me to ask you to do it. Um, but... um, in, in short, it's um, a reunion of a bunch of housemates who were at university together. Uh, and it's the weekend before Christmas. So actually, for once, I have come in very close to come in very tightly around the Christmas period, uh, because it is a very intense reunion uh, of old friends. And our main character is a girl, a very high achieving corporate lawyer called Libby. And she's been attending a wedding with her new boyfriend, Max. And um, they stop off at this uh, old uni reunion on the way past, on their way back to London. Um, snow is falling. They go in for a lovely dinner. They come back to find the roads impassable. So they're snowed in. And this is all really rather jolly. And they're in this beautiful old country house and you know, it's um, very festive scenes. Things become a bit darker when the next day under the weight of uh, the snow on the power lines, there's then a complete blackout and the roads are impassable. And as someone who lives in the countryside, um, we, have uh, we have blackouts quite regularly in the winter. And it really is quite an ordeal to be without light or heat any way of boiling a kettle uh, yeah. obviously no wi-fi god help us all uh, no tv you know nothing <laughs> and we live in a house with high ceilings so a candle does really not go very far yeah so you really are in a cold dark space uh for an unlimited period of time and often we're without water as well and um, we end up having to get water deliveries and things and so the reality of that you know that's all a lot bleaker Yes, I mean, it's got this sort of locked room element to it. But it is actually something that you didn't mention there, is that it's a dual timeline novel, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, there's there's a past and present because, um, you know, the, the question that sort of pursues the action is why has Libby lost contact with these friends of hers? Her friendship with them in the first place is really compelling because basically she had to move into you know, different student shares house to be with people that were, well, uh, not entirely, but pretty much of a higher sort of more privilege than yes. she was. But they weren't her tribe, naturally. And yeah. it wasn't her, it, it wouldn't have been an automatic arrangement. It comes about by circumstance. And she finds herself in this house with really lovely people but again just not her tribe yeah and uh Archie in particular is quite an extreme character based on someone I did know at uni um <laughs> and um you know you get these these characters in life and, and they're yeah. great, great fun um but obviously I wanted it to have heart as well I don't want them to be a pastiche no. and I really wanted to you know have a very genuine connection for her with all these individual characters in the house and that that was quite a something I worked on pretty hard making sure that they all felt 
relatable yes and not, not just like you know stereotypes no there I mean it's just a lovely cast of characters I you know there are lots of things that I enjoyed about the book but it was really fun to see them sort of start off as this like group of extremely privileged um beautiful people and then realize more about the depth of them as Libby sort of fell back in love with all of them in, in different ways exactly they all have their own story yeah. and you know it, it's that thing about peering behind the mask exactly um, which is something that it, it was sort of lovely to do from that perspective and something that I haven't yeah that I ha don't see that often of, of someone sort of lower middle class sort of breaking through her because she has assumptions about them. Yes, they're um, sort of a, a prejudice from her side. Yes. You know, and, and they take her to task for it because yeah. she does, uh, you know, sort of hold them. She she does see them as pastiche. And, and when that becomes apparent, you know, she's, you know, held to account. Um, yeah. That Which I've been a scene with Archie. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, and, and also it's interesting because... Um, Karen's book also does this a bit and it's okay so they're not straightforward cozy books but what they also do is sort of mix genre uh, and in yours uh, sorry sorry like in Jenny's book but like in yours Karen you mix actually there's sort of there's a there's a love story there's um there's a mystery uh, essentially that's based around a, a crime um yeah it's it's really a really interesting mix that I sort of feel like outside of writing for Christmas becomes more well I feel like I would be told Kate <laughs> you know are you are you you need to focus more on the love story you need to make, focus more on this but it works so well because it balances the the different mixture of things so do you think there is a difference in the sort of christmas books that you have more scope for creativity in a way because it's like under this umbrella than you do in writing the summer books which are potentially more open you know ended as when they might be read yeah, do you know, in a funny sort of way, I think it's the other way round. Oh, right. Yeah, for, for my summer books, I mean, apart from the fact that I'm doing this series. Yes. But apart from that, um, I can really have them set anywhere at any point, doing anything. And like you say, in this Christmas book, there is a darker sub-story, a subplot yeah. that I hadn't quite realised was going to be the story. And when I realized that was where it was heading I thought oh gosh is this what we want in a, in a Christmas novel uh, um, I do <laughs> yeah I do too yeah <laughs> but I'd written a book a few years ago called um Together by Christmas uh which was set in Amsterdam and the backstory was was set uh to the war in Syria and someone dealing with PTSD mm. and I just thought well do you know what I've sort of done this before in terms of I have mixed, I have brought a lot of darkness into my Christmas books. But I think as long as you you do give people something happy to end on, you give them some sort of redemption or resolution away from that, back into the light, then it's totally fine to go there. But it is, I always do hesitate more with the Christmas books about, is it okay to bring this in? 
in a way that I wouldn't with the summer. I would just go. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of your books made me cry at different points, which I suppose I'd like to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> which I wasn't necessarily expecting going into a Christmas, you know, Christmas books. I was thinking, oh, yes, great. This is going to be all cosy. But yeah, you both made me weep. Um, <laughs> um, but that's what I want from a book, to be honest. Really, exactly. Is both, you know, I want to feel the highs and the lows. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You just want to feel, don't you? you you want to be invested you want to get you want to be friends with those characters and you know if the book hasn't done that for you by the end then objectively it's failed in what what you were trying to achieve I think yeah um so a quick question for both of you just before we do a couple of reading recommendations Karen would you mind logging out and then logging in again oh sorry Sorry, last time (laughs) last time um so is there a part of the process that you particularly enjoy, Jenny, or anything that you dread? Um, I don't think I dread anything, and I oh, even good. quite like editing. Um, yes, me too. <laughs> I, you know, and especially when they come, when the edits come back, um, I I love that because that feels like that feels like polishing. You know, yes. that and I and I really love that. Um, and I I do think, oh gosh, yay for editors. Um. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think so. I think p- possibly it'll become, you know, if if God willing, I have, you know, any length of career, then maybe I might feel sort of dread of things later on. My only real big fear is of failure. But mm-hmm. most of the time, I'm so grateful that I'm able to actually write and not keep it a secret. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just like permanently in a state of gratitude. <laughs> yeah. And, and and so how about you, Karen? Is there a part of the process that you particularly enjoy or anything that you dread? Well, writing the end is the best feeling in the world. <laughs> um, I mean, it really, truly is. Um, like Jenny, I do love that the final edit stage because by then you just absolutely know what you're doing and what you want and you, the characters are real at this point. So your that sense of accomplishment of having created a world out of air is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the um, the first edit, the uh, the first draft edit is always brutal yes. and bruising and depressing. very painful you have to go through it there's just no other way you know to stitch the beast together you have to do it um it can be very daunting just starting a book you know those moments of looking at the blank page and thinking right here we go you know you have to take a deep breath and steal yourself yeah um but you know it is it is the whole process of these highs and these lows which makes it so rewarding when it does actually all come together yeah finally yeah <laughs> and so I've so enjoyed talking to you both but we're drawing the to a close of the episode now and so I'd just love to get a couple of reading recommendations from you both if I start with you Karen is there something that you'd recommend if someone's enjoyed you know your books to something that they might like to read um, well, I always, I do recommend anything by Elizabeth Buchan. I think she is absolutely wonderful. I worked with her years ago at U Magazine and she was our fiction editor and this was long before my sights were set on fiction hmm. and she's a beautiful writer. Two Women in Rome is an absolutely brilliant book by Elizabeth and if people have enjoyed, 
I, I think if you've enjoyed my summer books and my winter books, then you'll enjoy uh, Lizzie's book. Also, I'm a real fan of Eve Chase and her new book, The Midnight Hour, uh, is coming out in the next, uh, I, th I think in the new year. And I'm really looking forward to that. It's sort of set in the early 90s and around uh, something around antiques. And I'm a bit of an antiques fiend. So I really want to dive into that with her. Okay, fabulous. Thank you. And and how about you, Jenny? If someone enjoys your books, is there something that you would recommend? Um, yes, there is um, a writer called, and I really hope that I pronounce her name right, because I'm I'm never sure because I've not heard it read out properly. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to call her Ronalee Collings. Yes. Um, and she wrote Love and Other Dramas. And it was so good. And it's really what's the word woman centric but yes. it's it's women of a certain age finding themselves and you know and it's funny and it's kind of heartbreaking and it's you know it's one of those books where it's all the things that I would like my books I would like people to think about my books is what I thought about her book oh that's um, great yeah so I, that was that's a really I, I loved that book and okay. um and one that's coming out really soon that I just read recently I was really lucky was um it's called One Christmas Morning by uh Rachel Greenlaw um and that was again that was it, it's it's Christmassy but it's so much more than that again you know it's that um and that was that was a brilliant book that was properly Dickensian it's about a woman who has to keep reliving the same day from other people's perspectives to find out what she where she needs to go next Oh, I love the sound of that. That sounds really great. Really good. Really good. Oh, well, thank you for those recommendations. And thank you to both of you for being part of this Christmas novel experience episode. It was such a pleasure to both read your books and talk to you both. Um, and so reassuring <laughs> that people <laughs> that write these books that are such, so good as yours go through exactly the same thing that we all do so thank you so much for being so honest and open in your answers yeah I feel so much better now after speaking to both of you because it does feel really like you're on your own doesn't it and like no one else has these problems everyone else just whips out a book real quick yeah I completely agree I think you both should have certifiable loony certificates as well <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much and Merry Christmas Merry Christmas <laughs> Thank you for listening to Novel Experience. Please check out the show notes for links and all the book recommendations from this episode. If you enjoyed listening, please do take a moment to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Or if online reviews aren't your thing, then please do tell a friend. I've been your host, Kate Sawyer, and I hope you'll join us again soon as I chat to more of your favourite authors about their novel experience.